You are listening to the Lucha Central Podcast Network. And now, Lucha Central Weekly. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Lucha Central Weekly Podcast. It is my honor to introduce our interview guest at this time. He is an international wrestling star who's wrestled throughout Europe and the United States, but Lucha Libre fans may recognize him from his work with DTU, IWRG, and CMLL, where at one point he was arguably considered the most hated man in Mexico. Most recently, you've seen him bring his brutal style to AAA and the National Wrestling Alliance. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Lucha Central Weekly Podcast. He is El Rudo de las Chicas, Sam Adonis. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. I'm sitting here blushing listening to you talk about all my accolades. It's nice to hear it from someone else's mouth. Uh, well, they're your accolades, and you have a lot of them, so we are so excited to talk with you. We have literally seen you all over the world, um, making your presence, making a statement, uh, not only in the world uh, of wrestling, but specifically Lucha Libre. And that was really the first question I wanted to ask you. Why did you consider or what made you want to pursue training in the Lucha Libre style of wrestling? Uh, well, first and foremost, I'm excited to work with you guys because uh, the beauty of, of wrestling right now, it's a lot like the music industry. It's so diverse and it's so all over the place that a lot of fans don't even check out another pocket of the universe. Um, I'm excited to talk to you now because it is Lucha related. So hopefully, you know, some of your listeners are familiar with me, but it's just fun being able to, you know, get the story across from multiple perspectives. But the uh, Lucha has always been a part of my blood, basically. Uh, for a lot of people that have heard my other podcasts and my interviews and whatnot, I grew up in wrestling. So my dad was a promoter and my brother was WWE's Corey Graves. And, uh, you know, wrestling was just a part of the family. Um, we've had my mom has seen more wrestling through her peripherals than most wrestlers have seen. So it's just kind of the way it is. Um, I remember seeing Lucha for the first time in 94 when AAA had their When Worlds Collide pay-per-view. Uh, we bought that pay-per-view live at my house, and, and you know, all of us were kind of blown away with what Mexican wrestling was. Um, that was basically the introduction to the Luchadors in WCW, which you know was always my favorite part of the show. Um, again, growing up in wrestling, we almost had a little bit more refined taste because we were around so much other wrestling. You know, and not saying I was special because everyone loved the Luchadors, mm -hmm. but it, it was always the focal point of my fandom. Uh, guys like Ultimo Dragon and Rey Mysterio Jr., who were the guys that I wanted to be, even though I was an overweight little kid. You know, I never really accepted the limitations of, hey, these are, you know, smaller guys that are more athletic. I was always just, a, you know, a fan of, of the spectacle that's Lucha Libre. So a little bit older in life, I ended up uh, becoming quite the tape trader. I had, you know, four or 500 different VHS tapes, you know, at, at seven or eight years old. 
And I started really studying Lucha Libre. Um, this is when I learned that there's a lot more to Lucha than just masks and flips. You know, there, there's a whole culture behind yeah. it. And there's still good guys and bad guys, heroes and villains, you know. And the way I've always taken my career is I want to be the best. So I want to learn every style. I want to do, you know, go travel abroad and pick up tools of the trade along the way. And, you know, I actually signed a WWE contract in 2011. And when I did, I was a bit disappointed because I had left Japan and Mexico undone. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what I've always wanted to do. You know, I, I, I don't get me wrong. I want to be Hulk Hogan. I want to be a millionaire you know, 30 times over and be the biggest star in wrestling. <laughs> but I feel like there's a certain path you have to take to be the best. So when I signed Too Young, it, it kind of bummed me out. And, you know, hindsight being 2020, my release was great for me because, you know, through other avenues, I was eventually able to conquer Europe and Japan and, and ultimately Mexico. But, uh, I mean, just being a huge fan of the culture, of the style, you know, and having respect for Mexico in general definitely, you know, attributed to my success in Mexico. I was able to get down there and, you know, I had connections. I made friends. And at the end of the day, my my knowledge of classic and old Lucha Libre, you know, basically won over some pretty important people. You know, mm -hmm. they say, holy cow, who's this 21 year old kid or 24 year old kid that, you know, knows more about the history of Lucha than our, our students. Right. Do? Yeah. You know, so I, I turned a lot of the right heads and got a lot of the right opportunities. You know, it's a little bit of luck, a lot of opportunity and even more hard work. So uh, it just it worked out for the best. And I mean, granted, I, I landed with all my feet with CMLL. Yes. Speaking of CMLL and the legends, what was it like to have your first Apoistus match with Blue Panther and CMLL? Oh, my goodness. That was you know, <laughs> too much. Yeah. The thing is, you know, what what kind of separated me from everyone else in Mexico is because I was different. You know, everybody, right. everybody in wrestling, whether it's, you know, Japan, Mexico, China, Puerto Rico, United States, they, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. I was invited to CMLL by Ultimo Guerrero. And what a lot of people don't understand is CMLL is almost like a sports team. You have to train with them. You have to be every, every Wednesday you have a class where you have to perform alongside all the other luchadors. So even though Sam Adonis is a punch and kick, you know, Rudo, like Sangre Chicana or something like that, I yeah. still had to do the rolls and the flips and the cardio with all these guys. So I really, really, really had to earn my keep. You know, I, I knew there was a lot of a lot of fans that, uh, you know, kind of like, why is Sam Adonis doing this? Why is he getting a push? Why? That was, you know, that was the rhetoric for a while. But at the end of the day, I earned that spot. And there was one thing that nobody could deny. I was getting better heat than anyone. You know, people yeah. knew the, the arenas and it took a while for the wrestlers to understand. But, you know, when I first started there, even before the flag and the Donald Trump character, I was getting good reactions. Then when the Donald Trump character came out, I would be the third or fourth match. But what a lot of people don't realize is once the crowd gets hot, they stay hot. So yeah. the main event guys like Ultimo Guerrero and Volador they were they, they liked when I was on the show because they knew I warmed them up. You know, it, it, it's one of those things where they really the big guys started to have my back and started to pull for me. You know, and, and again, going back to that respect for classic Lucha, guys like Atlantis and Blue Panther, Negro Cassis, they wanted to work with me because I was a professional and I respected their position. So 
uh, I got invited and when I could not believe when Paco Alonso told me I was having a, uh, a hair match. Um, it was just unbelievable. And then to win that in Arena Mexico I mean, in front of 10,000 people, uh, it, it's just to this day when I'm in Mexico City, that's what people bring up. Oh, I was there when you beat Blue Panther. Oh, I saw that. You're the guy that beat Blue Panther for his hair. And I still think, you know, as as Americans and even Mexican-Americans, I don't think you can really grasp how big an apuesta is. That's, mm-hmm. you know, that's literally like, you know, almost like a Super Bowl. Each apuesta is is a part of history. Whether you watch it or not, you know it happens. It's there. It's statistically written down in the record books. Thanks. You know, so to receive yeah. that opportunity was huge. And that basically made me a made man overnight. It's incredible. Yeah, you went from being on, uh, you know, being a bottom to being on every card and being in a good spot. Yeah, you, it, you were talking about Wednesday practices. In, oh, go ahead. You're cutting out there. Can you repeat that last thing again? I'm sorry. Oh. I was mostly putting over how how well you were doing on the on the card after that. Uh, uh, yeah. Basically saying that you went you went from being you know in a good spot on most shows to being in a good spot on every show, and I I almost got tired of seeing you on my screen, but not quite. Uh, <laughs> it almost. Uh, it, I think. I mean, I was there for probably a year before the Apuesta, before I beat Blue Panther. And again, this yeah. was going back to just proving to CMLL that I, you know, I belonged there. Mm-hmm. I had to train every Wednesday for a year. I had to perform and, and show them, you know, because again, there's 60 wrestlers running around Arena Mexico, you know, some guys shooting on each other and just, I mean, it's, it's the Wild West as far as that goes, you know, and, and to have a code of conduct that, you know, that I had, I proved myself and I earned that opportunity. And that was almost like a, a I guess a very well kept secret. Because they knew they had something here, they knew they had a you know a license to print money in this American, you know that gets heat and sells tickets, and they were just waiting for the right time to pull the trigger. So we tuned it up a little bit with Blue Panther and Sam Adonis, and I I shit you not, there was not one professional wrestling fan in the country of Mexico that thought I was going to beat Blue Panther. <laughs> That's yeah. yeah. No, uh, I think that was a huge, I, I, huge surprise. Yep. I'm not did, one. I did not see that coming either. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And that was a bit of the swerve. And, and again, that comes back, I'm sure we'll bring it up later with the, the Negro Cassis uh, situation. That was the swerve that really got, you know, it, it made me a made man because they know, you know, a lot of times some American comes to Mexico, you know, loses their hair and goes away. That's kind of what they were being taught. <laughs> That's kind of what the, you know, they're spoon fed all of these years. So when I was able to do that and beat him, it absolutely blew everybody's mind. And that, you know, for all intents and purposes was the beginning of a push. You know, they knew what, they knew the results that were going to happen. They knew what they'd get out of me afterwards. And, you know, from then on, I mean, we were doing hot, hot business, every small town, you know, because again, Mexico is is a lot different to Japan as far as everything that happens in Japan is recorded, documented, and there's pictures. I've been on shows in Mexico with 15,000 people in a soccer stadium that there's no recollection of these things ever happening. 
So we were doing shows all over the country. Uh, myself, Blue Panther, we'd have uh, rematches. And then when we really started the tune-up with uh, with Negro Cassis, we were doing big shows all over the country, selling tickets, um, working with Ultimo Guerrero and Caristico, big, big stars. I was a you know, main event guy, and it just – it was a proven product and a proven entity so much so that in the end, when I had my apuesta with Negro Casas, there wasn't one wrestling fan in Mexico that thought Casas was going to beat me because they've seen the way things go. You know, they're, they're spoon fed it kind of like, you know, WWE fans know a lot about WWE. Once they, once I beat Panther, (laughs) they know, okay, Negro loses his hair all the time. He loses, he lost it last week. You know, he's going to lose his hair to Adonis because Adonis is hot (laughs) and they're going to, you know, build him to Ultimo Guerrero or something like that, you know, and that, that kind of sucks some wind out of my sails. But, you know, again, it was a really cool opportunity. So, uh, oh, go ahead, Vern. Oh, I was, I, I just want to, well, you, you keep mentioning Wednesday nights uh, at, at Arena Mexico, which is the, the V-Roof class, I believe. Um, and then with Blue Panther and Negro Casas. So you have uh, quite, the, quite the mentoring with, with people that like that uh, Yave style. What was that like to, uh, to work with? On it, um, I rarely ever worked out with Virus. Uh, I don't know what the schedule is now, but when I was down there, Wednesday mornings was Ultimo Guerrero's class with oh, with, uh, with cool. Tony Salazar. No, no, Tony wasn't even there. It was uh, Franco Colombo, Ultimo Guerrero. And this was like the pro class. This wasn't the learn how to wrestle class. This was, you know, you're fighting for a spot. So we'd come out there yeah. and, we'd, you know, we had to come and, and just bring our A game. Um I loved learning the Yabe. I've worked out a lot at Ultimo Guerrero School, you know, outside of, of the CMLO class. Um, I've wrestled with all these guys. I've learned the Yabe, which I find fascinating. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I really love learning and, and putting it in the right spots where it fits for me. But the reason I had my success in Mexico was because I was an American. And this is something that young wrestlers do all the time and they make a mistake because, you know, no matter what, those fans are going to see me as an American wrestler. They don't want to see me. They're looking at me much more like a John Cena than like, a, a you know, Ultimo Guerrero. They know the American style. They know the punches and kicks and the body slams and the things like that. So to the foreign fan, the the Mexican, the Lucha fans that want to watch CMLL might say, oh, my God, I want to see Titan and Vitos, you know, and see all these fancy moves. The Mexican fans love the variety, you know, and I've had matches with, you know, Negro Casas and, and these other guys, you know, I wanted to do cool shit that they'd learned at Lucha school. You know, I say, hey, I, <laughs> I, I literally just learned this. No, 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 you're an American. You're a heel. Don't do that. Because if I was an American heel that started to do cool shit, they wouldn't like. They'd start to like me. So if they start <laughs> to like me, then they're not going to hate me. We're not going to get money out of this oppressor. So like you know, I really get laugh at, at I laugh at internet critics and stuff like that because you know they have ideas on what they want to see. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, my boss has loved me, and I was you know, drawing money, which is impossible to do in 2021 or whatever. You know, this was 2018. Yeah. But I was able to create an American style and a culture in Mexico, which in turn made money, which in turn made made me valuable. 
what would you say was the most surprising thing that you encountered as an American wrestling overseas? You know, you kind of mentioned the the American as an overseas wrestler, but like to foreign audiences. But what would you say the biggest difference was for you? Like the um, uh, that's a hard, hard question. Are we talking cultural or in wrestling? Like in wrestling, I, I would say that before my experience, I thought that I would go to adapt to their style. I thought when I was I was under the impression that when you're in Mexico, you do a lot of high spots. You do cool things because yeah. that's what the Mexican audience want. When you're in Japan, you go strong style and, you know, do suplexes because that's what they want. And, you know, and all my experiences all over the world, I've learned from a lot of people in a lot of places. And, you know, it's something that I can preach till I'm blue in my face. But wrestlers will never understand that until that they're in that position. Mm-hmm. You know, for years, there was an American style of pro wrestling which was Terry Funk, you know, Ricky Steele, yeah. you, you, you mean the tackle, drop town, headlock, takeover, that kind of, you know, classic old American wrestling. That's still what a lot of the world thinks American wrestling is. Now, you know, indie wrestling has developed this hybrid style of lucha mixed with submission, mixed with strong style, and there's no real classic American style anywhere through that, and that just blends in. That's just what everyone's doing in Mexico and everyone doing in Japan so they don't stand out. You know, and that's again, hindsight being 2020, I learned this and I'm going to, you know, I'll preach this till I'm blue in the face because, you know, it's worked for me. It's a proven product that works. I try to tell people, you know, be as authentic American pro wrestling as you can be. And I'm not saying, you know, go out and, and, and wrestle a headlock match for 40 minutes. I mean, right. just, you know, just learn the style, learn what it is and understand that. You know, yes, Twitter is out there and the Internet's out there and you can read critics and hear what people say. But at the end of the day, there's bosses that are going to pay your bills. And a lot of those bosses have been around for 60 years or 50 years and they know what they like and they know what good is. So even though, you know, I could go out there and, and, you know, do cool, high, fast paced shit for, for CMLL. My bosses liked the fact that I was a 1985 Memphis style heel in CMLL. You know, and in turns, I got a bigger push than all the other, you know, Americans that had been through the doors while I was there. So cool. Do you have like a favorite story or a favorite match from working in Mexico? Uh, One of the really good ones was the revenge. Uh, It was the first time I wrestled Blue Panther after I beat him for his hair. We were in Arena Coliseo. And I don't know about your, your listeners. I personally like Coliseo better than Arena Mexico. It's the coolest <laughs> building on the planet. I mean, it was built for wrestling in, in the 40s, I think it was, maybe the 30s. But, I mean, it's it's a, it's a just perfect. When I'm standing on the top rope, in a, I'm about eight, line, eight feet from the first row of, of fans. You know, I can make eye contact with people. And it's just the environment was unbelievable. Uh, sadly, it's in a very dangerous part of town. So I very seldomly ran there or wrestled there. When there was any amount of people, you know, a, a good crowd was about 1,500. A yeah. bad crowd would be about, you know, 700. But I remember specifically my first match with Blue Panther ever or after the Apuesta. We wrestled for about, uh, you know, we had a normal 30-minute CMLO match. But me and Panther had the heat. Like, like you know, you can feel it. You, I'm getting chills thinking about it. It was there. And then, again, we didn't do typical, you know, crazy stuff. It was Blue Panther against Sam Adonis with punch, kicks, chokes, you know, whatever. But it was hot. Then whenever he finally pinned me at the end, 
I mean, there had to have been 6,000 pesos in the ring. The fans were throwing money. And we're we're accustomed as Americans thinking you pay for a good match. You know, oh, that was good athletic display of, of amazing high spots. Here, take my money. And that's, I assumed that even while I was in Mexico, until I was there this night, and I felt how much more money they threw for the emotion. Mm-hmm. That, that good story of, of feel good, hey, he got his revenge. That was worth more money than saying, hey, those guys are great athletes that did yeah. a lot of cool moves. They threw mm-hmm. so much money in that mm-hmm. ring, and I just remember it vividly. That was one of my favorite nights. Um, granted, the, the Apuestas were also all great nights because they were my night. You know, it was yeah. nice to be able to have my name on the main event. Uh, the first one, Blue Panther, was really nerve wracking because I knew it was my first singles main event. And being the son of a promoter, all I was doing is worried about the crowd. I was just worried of the people coming. Oh, dude, if, if nobody comes, I'm gonna be, this is going to be a joke. There's just going to be bad. So I'm peeking out and just, you know, every 30 seconds looking out the curtain. And the Mexican fans don't arrive until about the third match anyway. But by the time we got out there, it was it was sold out for what they had available. Uh, the Grand Prix was in town, so they had banners covering a few sections. It wasn't the full eighteen thousand sellout like I wish it was, but I want to say there you know there was at least ten to twelve there. It was packed, so that That's that incredible. was just yeah, it was super cool. And um, those ones stand out the most. But again, there's so many legends I've been able to share the ring with that you know the kid inside me all the time is going to be excited to wrestle Ultimo Guerrero or Juventud Guerrero or Ultimo Dragon, you know Negro yeah. Passes. So. Those are the big ones, though. Sam, you talk a lot about your character and how you, uh, you know, made such a, an impression as a Rudo, as this American Rudo, and you know that the pro Trump character that really took Lucha Libre and the wrestling world by storm to the point where there was articles here in the United States talking about your character. What was that like? Did you ever expect to get that kind of coverage here in the United States? And what was it like to see that coverage um, in the United States about the work you were doing in Mexico? Um, I definitely had no idea what was coming. I had no idea that was going to blow up to the level it did. I did, however, know there was something to it. Because I put Donald Trump's on, on the side of a tight pair of tights I have. And the first yeah. time I did it, the, the reaction in the locker room was just, it was, people were excited about it. That's great. I think the reason why it works is because this whole issue was so close to everybody's heart. Yeah. You know, and, and it worked well, too, with Sam Adonis as a character. Because I'm not a mean, grumpy villain who thinks I'm too cool to smile. You know, I'm, I think I'm the nicest guy on earth. I smile and wave and hey, and I think that's the nerve that, you know, struck close to home to everybody because, you know, this, the, the world's so divided right now with Republicans, Democrats, liberals, you know, conservatives, whatever. Everyone thinks they're the good guy, you know, and yeah. in, in Mexico, sure. in Mexico, I was able to be a clear cut bad guy. And that's why I never did the gimmick in the United States unless it was on a Lucha show. Mm-hmm. It's because, you know, there's certain crowds that would take that as a baby face. They'd say, this guy's great. He's on our team. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't be the same, you know, the same process. So uh, it, it 
blew up in Mexico. It was unbelievable. The press and media was, you know, unlike anything I could have ever expected. Um, I mean, GQ did a story on yeah. me, uh, uh, Vice, CNN, Reuters, every single newspaper on earth had me. And, you know, up to this point, that was my 15 minutes of fame. But it definitely, you know, prepared me for the pro wrestling business um, and just the, the fringe benefits, if you will, or the or the outside opportunities, because, you know, now I'm so used to doing this and, and you know, being on camera and speaking. And, you know, the, the funny thing about that whole situation is every last one of those media outlets tried to paint the story that I'm some racist idiot, you know, that's going to get killed in Mexico. That's the story they all were getting sold, and that's what they wanted to cover. <laughs> but, you know, I'm very proud of the fact that, you know, you can look back on all of it, and I was able to shed some positive light on pro wrestling and make people say, oh, I didn't know that's what that was. Yeah. You know, I didn't realize that the bad guys are supposed to get beat up. Oh, that's pretty cool. You know, and I made the, the, the most out of a bad situation. I, you know, I, I stood up for what I love about pro wrestling, and, in the end, it made me a lot of great connections, and uh, it's been awesome for my career. Yeah, I mean, I think now when you think of the name Sam Adonis, you do think of, of the character. You think of El Rudo, you know, and, and uh -huh. Puro Rudo. Like, you are yes. very pure, but exactly like you mentioned, it's not necessarily someone who's mean. It's not someone who isn't smiling. You know, you love the people, you love the crowds, uh, but you do it in a way that, um, you know, is even beyond flamboyant. You're absolutely right. You know, sometimes we are the heroes in our own stories um, and that gets projected. I think every time you come in into a ring um, and how the fans receive you absolutely depends on the crowd that you're in front of. Um, how do you notice crowd differences when you've wrestled in Mexico versus the United States because now you are having a much more of a, a bigger presence here in the United States and you've you know likely been so used to the crowds in Mexico how has that uh, changed for you um, since you know wrestling in in Mexico I really don't think there's any difference in any crowd anywhere in the world I think most crowds are for the most part very similar at the end of the day, it's human emotion you're trying to, you know, capture. And you, I've always, I know how to get under certain people's skin in certain ways. I think, in my opinion, pro wrestling should appeal to everybody. I, I think, you know, if you don't like wrestling, you should be able to turn it on for 10 minutes, understand who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, what's happening. And you could either say, yeah, I didn't like that, or yeah, I did like that. But you should be able to understand. I think a big problem with wrestling now is, you know, again, the Internet is so involved and so many of these small shows in the United States are, are full of critics and full of people that, you know, say, OK, you're a wrestler. Impress me. You know, that's not what I do. I'm there to make sure that that, you know, that granddad in the last seat who brought his grandson that doesn't like wrestling is having a good time, mm -hmm. too. So I've always tried to do my best to, to you know, go out there and and just strike a chord with people and you do it differently in Japan or Mexico, you know, based on the, what speed you're going to go, basically what, what that audience wants to see. But again, when you come out smiling and waving and then yell at some girl in the face and then go back to smiling and waving, you're telling a story. You're telling a story that you're not this, you know, sweetheart that you're pretending to be. 
these are emotions that everybody understands, yeah. you know, and this is, this is what works all over the place. That character, like I said, is so different. You know, even now, uh, I'm super excited about this AAA situation because, you know, I kind of get to reinvent the, the character a little bit, mm-hmm. even though the character never really changed. It was just a yeah. prop in my hand, you know. Um, yeah. The thing about Mexico is they're so used to having a Rudo wear black and be mean and be a demon or, you know, a cowboy that's evil. Whatever they're going to do, they're so used to that. You know, there has never been, I mean, Negro Castus is probably the closest one, but there's very few Rudos that come out smiling and waving, you know, and, and that's yeah. something that kind of shocked the system. It worked and it worked for me. Uh, I was a, I was very surprised at, you know, my return to AAA and how big it was. Yeah. I, I personally didn't think it was going to be as big as it was. I thought, oh, I've been gone for two years. This, you know, yeah, cool. This will be fun. Let's make this happen. Let's rock and roll. But, you know, the backlash on it and, you know, just hearing the commentators talking like I was Hulk Hogan returning to AAA or something, you know, it was such a big deal. And, and that kind of taught me a lot that, you know, what I was doing worked. So, you know, people don't want to see Sam and Honest come out and just now all of a sudden be, you know, a badass and, and, and you know, do cool moves. They want Sam Adonis that they saw, you know, two and a half, three years ago. The mother of reinvention, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to have a, a character with so many shades, so many kind of layers that you can still be true to what you're trying to do, but also pivot and do different things. Speaking of pivoting, I, I want to talk about something a little bit different, and that is this brand new cookbook, uh, the Eat Like a Luchador cookbook that is part uh, of the uh, Mass Republic line um, from Legends of Lucha Libre, and you are included in this book with legends, you know, people that you face, people that you've admired, right here on uh, good old page 16, we have Sam Adonis and his Diabla shrimp recipe, a uh, beautiful picture there and recipe. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in this project and what did it mean to you to be part of this book? This cookbook is probably one of the funniest, coolest stories of my entire life because I never in a million years would ever think that I would be published in a cookbook. Like even the you know even though it's a wrestling cookbook, I mean this thing is my grandma can buy this book at Barnes and Nobles. That's just insane. So to me, it's really funny. Um, I was actually approached by friends of mine from Dos Hermanos Lucha. They're two mm-hmm. mass collectors in P- Pennsylvania. Yeah, and they've been really tight with Ruben and Kevin from Mass Republic for a while. Ruben and Kevin have been great to me my whole time. You know, they're, they're just, I would call them friends. You know, I was just with Ruben. You were there, Miranda, uh, in Vegas. <laughs> we just, uh, you know, they've always been good to me. And I guess, I don't know if they were helping Ruben and Kevin with the, with some layout or something, or they just, you know, had the idea to reach out about it because they're my personal friends. But something happened. He says, hey, uh, can, can we get you in a cookbook? I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, whatever. It's like, all right, cool. Then uh, they came over to my parents' house, and we were just drinking beer all day, having a good time. And, <laughs> and he says, all right, let's pose for these pictures. So I took a couple pictures, and now, you know, a year later, maybe two years later, 
it's amazing. I mean, I didn't realize how big of a book it is. All the legends are in it, you know, and they put a really nice write up about me in it. And at the end of the day, it's an absolute honor. You know, I'm, I'm to me, I'm just some kid from Pittsburgh that liked Lucha Libre. And, you know, now you can look back at it, even though it was a short run, you know, and, and now there's more to come. I definitely made my mark in Lucha Libre. And it's nice to be, you know, featured in there in a cookbook with some of the greats. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is uh, beyond a cookbook, like you mentioned, there's write-ups, pictures. So if anything, this is almost like a historical item. You were written in the book of Lucha Libre, my friend. There is a, there is a chapter of Sam Adonis in the book of Lucha Libre. I'm still waiting for my copy in the mail. Uh, one, one of the brothers, is he has his copy for me, so uh, I'm getting it soon. I just... I haven't, I forget everything. I, I don't pay attention to, to real life that often. You know, I, I do my gym and, and, uh, and try to stay busy wrestling, but things like that, I, I haven't gone out to buy one yet. So yeah. I'll wait for it in the mail. Well, I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised with the book because it's a beauty and it's a hefty one too. If you ever need yeah, to use big, it, in isn't the it? Ring. it's a hard book. Yeah. Hardback, hard book. Yeah. 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 You could definitely knock someone out with this. I'm just saying, if you ever need a, a, something to use in you, the ring I you think could you absolutely might, you might have just booked my next finish you know I can come out <laughs> cut, a, cut a promo about the cookbook I'm in and then use it as a finisher literally just booked it that was impressive yes yes <laughs> we love our puns here on the Central Weekly Podcast, uh, but uh, but in legit, legitimately, like it's it's a beautiful book, the the layout, but also getting your feature, and we are very excited to try the Diablo shrimp recipe uh, that's in here one day. It's definitely on the to cook list. So um, congratulations on being featured in the book, and uh, we'll congratulate you when you get your copy as well, because I think you'll be pretty impressed <laughs> yeah. with it. I'll tag you guys in the picture I take. You know, really, you've talked so much about what you've done and what there still is left to do. And already coming back to AAA and, you know, recently being on NWA, there's a lot of new chapters coming uh, in the book of Sam Adonis if we're going to keep using book puns. What do you hope is next? Where do you hope to go? Who do you hope to wrestle? Um, because now as things get back to a sense of normalcy, the opportunities are coming up. Um, is there a must do or a must go or a must wrestle that you have in mind? Honestly, I, I, I would say that I personally have already accomplished all my goals. You know, seven year old Sam wanted to do, you know, so many things that I actually made happen. You know, I've wrestled with Ultimo Guerrero and Caristico and Ultimo Dragon and Jun Akiyama, All Japan, CMLL. Brian Dixon's all-star in the UK, you know, Hanover, Germany, all the little things that were important to me, I've already accomplished. So from a, from a personal outlook standpoint, I guess you could say I'm, I'm overly optimistic. I know what I'm capable of and I know, you know, how to do what I plan on doing. So as of this current moment, I'm in about probably the best mental state I've been in, you know, in a long time, especially coming out of COVID, you know, that was hard for all of us, but you know, things are picking back up for me right now in, in just a positive way. I'm just happy for everything. You know, I, I live with my girlfriend and my dog, you know, she's a wrestler as well named Ray Lynn, but you know, we, we live a wrestling life. I have the right bookings in the right space. 
I want to be a household name. You know, I'm not kidding. I want to be the rock. I want to be Hulk Hogan, just like anybody, you know, but it's, I feel like the the road less traveled has the greatest reward, you know, and I'm not one of these wrestlers that's going out there just to get, you know, Twitter retweets and to get my gifts out there. I'm not, I'm not looking for a shortcut. You know, I want the slow burn. I look at somebody like AJ Styles as such an inspiration because at 40 years old, he signed a big contract at WWE and, you know, he's made his money that he deserved, but he was in no rush to get there. He didn't have to sit in NXT. He didn't have to, to, you know, play the game and wait. People know exactly how damn good he is. And, you know, I, I'm by no means at, at AJ Styles level, but I think I'm at a process that, you know, that's kind of accomplishing that, you know, know where I go, the, the people not know what I've done and where I'm coming from, you know, so I think there's a lot of opportunity left here in the United States for me. Um, I think, you know, whether it's one of the major companies, WWE, AEW, Impact, you know, I, I think that my best days are still to come. And, you know, there's really no... There's no dream match I want to have. You know, I I wrestled uh, most of my heroes that I can still wrestle. I've already wrestled. You know, most of my wrestlers that I wanted to wrestle, you know, have either retired or passed because I'm just, you know, such a fan of 80s and 90s wrestling. Um, There's guys out there that, you know, I just respect the hell out of. And I know I could have killer matches, you know, with with a, a Kenny Omega, Randy Orton, Cody Rhodes. You know, there's so many great wrestlers out there that I would love to work with. But I definitely wouldn't call them dream matches. You know, that's more of a, a professional edge. You, you know, you just want to push each other and get there. Uh, because, you know, I, I, know, I know what I've done. I've known what I'm capable of. And I just know that I'm on track to, you know, accomplish everything else I want. And also, I would like to be in the TV novellas like Conan was back in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a goal. Now that's what we're talking about. It's funny because, uh, you know... Another thing that made Sam and Honest different is I speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of a lot of you know re- Mexican wrestling fans aren't used to that. The Rudo comes in, you know, shouting a foreign language and just you know making telling stories with their face. I was cutting promos in Spanish, you know, and people. I used to. I was one of the only wrestlers in Mexico that would lie through my teeth. You know, they said, "What? Do you, how, why did you cheat to beat Blue Panther?" And I says, "I didn't cheat. Uh, the bottom rope was loose." And because I'm I'm upholding the sanctity of Arena Mexico, I couldn't let the, the presentation go on like that. I had to hold the rope up so you know we didn't look bad. You know, just simple old school '80s American <laughs> stuff that Ric Flair, Roddy Piper would have said has never been seen in Mexico. So that kind of uh, you know attitude has worked, and and speaking Spanish has done so much for me politically and backstage. You know, I do think eventually there will be opportunity to get to take it to a mainstream level in Mexico. And I think that would be great just to be there. And, and, you know, the nice thing about being here in Pittsburgh, you know, nobody knows who Sam Adonis is. You know, there's a local wrestling scene, but that's, you know, just like anywhere. But in Mexico City, I'm a rock star. It's nice to be able to have your cake and eat it, too. (laughs) You can go live that side of the on Mm -hmm. that side of the fence and enjoy it and, you know, live a, a glamorous bright light life and then be able to come home and turn it off with my girlfriend and puppy yeah you can super sweet so uh just real quick because we're talking about cool things like this uh we all talk about our love for luchador movies and we're trying to resurrect them still like i'm always buzzing at kevin about that so 
maybe that's a project you'd want to do at some point. I would gladly do a, a luchador movie. Uh, I, I think it'd be fun to be a part of it. Uh, they're just yeah. such a big part of Mexico. It's, it's almost, I don't know. It's almost like the way we look at the three stooges or, or so, you know, something like that. They, they were such a big part of the fifties and sixties that everyone knows them and loves them. So, I mean, if it were possible, I'd love something like that. You know, the comic books, like it used to come out in the nineties. I'd love to be a part yeah. of that. You know, I, I just think, uh, I don't know. I, I think there's definitely. There's definitely space for a mainstream foreign wrestler in Mexico. You know, they've been pushing, they've had their, their local stars for so long. I think they need a, you know, a guy like myself or a Marco Corleone or, or a, you know, like Jericho used to be, like Vampiro was. You know, it, it's, it goes apart to show that your brand is a worldwide brand. You need diverse talent, you know, and I think AAA is right there. The talent is there. You know, there's a lot of good things going on backstage. Uh, I'd like to see you know the rest of this year unfold in a very positive way, and who's to say? I would love to be in a, a Luchador remake, you know, starring Sam Adonis. Yeah. Yeah. Make it happen, Kevin. Yeah. We'll put it out there in the universe. <laughs> yes, we'll put it out there. Uh, well, Sam, thank you so much for joining us uh, for this interview for the Lucha Central Weekly Podcast. Please let our listeners know uh, anything you'd like to plug, anything that you may be coming up on, where they can find you on social media. Uh, you can find me on social media at Real Sam Adonis on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I really appreciate everyone's support, and it just you know it, it feels nice now that you know a lot of people are taking notice. Um, I have good stuff coming up all this summer. Uh, I can't give away most of it though. It's funny because I'm at, I'm in such a, a weird threshold where all my my summer is absolutely jam packed. But uh, you know, if I if I let out any secret, then all of them could come out. You know, and I don't want that. So please just find my social media and you know stay stay in tune with what I'm doing. Uh, pay attention to AAA. Pay attention to NWA. Uh, and pay attention to the, the local wrestling scene because there's a good chance I'll be somewhere by your listeners this summer. Excellent. And that does it for us for this interview on the Lucha Central Weekly Podcast. Make sure you join us every week on the Lucha Central Weekly Podcast with myself, Dusty, and Brendan, where we let you know everything that's happening in the world of Lucha Libre. Check us out on LuchaCentral.com and the Lucha Central Podcast Network on all forms of uh streaming itunes spotify Podbay, speaker uh google play all of that you can listen to this interview of course and uh our weekly podcast so thank you so much sam uh we will keep an eye out for you and we'll you'll definitely be hearing from us on the lucha central weekly podcast thanks guys have a great night thank you